0: It felt so good to sing that song, He Leadeth Me. I don't know if you felt what I felt, but I was just blessed. Thank you for leading that. Above all else, just relax and rest in the fact that He will lead us. Every born-again believer has something exciting within them. If you're here this morning and you're a born-again believer, there's something exciting within you. You have something within you that unbelievers do not have. So we're not referring to our hearts, nor soul, mind, or five senses because unbelievers and believers alike have that. And it's not very nice when pastors ask for for somebody to shout out what I'm thinking because it's pretty broad. But what do you have within you that unbelievers do not have? Who was that? Yeah. Exactly. Did you see my notes, Josiah? By the way, welcome. <clears throat> we have that hope that is within us. And the Bible gives us that answer in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And You can turn there if you wish. We'll go there for a little bit. We're going to take a lot of our time this morning from the second chapter of Titus. But 1 Peter uh, 15, 3, verse 15. 1 Peter 3:15 but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh, asketh you a reason of the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. What is this referring to? Hope as is used here is expectation or confidence. So we could say that verse and say we're supposed to be ready to give a reason of the expectation of the hope, or the hope—I'm sorry—the confidence that is within us. Now, you take the word hope and use that in a verb sense. It's something that you want to happen, or or to be the case. You know, I hope thus and thus happens. We could say, well, I, it's more of a of a personal preference. I sure hope we win that basketball game, or I hope mom and dad take us out for ice cream this week. It's kind of a a shallow feeling, but the hope here in 1 Peter is a lot more than that. The subject in 1 Peter is uh, on on the subject of suffering for what is good. Uh, Verse 14 has, But if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Uh, If we're suffering for righteousness' sake, we really have nothing to fear. Then first, verse 15 is, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. So sanctify is to make holy and or consecrate. So what we see here is we're to, make, we're to have an inner commitment to Christ. Do we have an inner commitment to Christ? Are we ready to support and or explain our beliefs with others? what are we supposed to give reason for that hope are we ready to give that to share what what is within ready to give an answer and it could be said here that we are to be ready to give a defense for the, everyone who asks and the word defense comes from the root word apologetics so ready to give an answer are we ready to give an answer for what What are we to defend? And the verse tells us very clearly the hope that is within you. There is hope within. We have that hope that is within, and you and I, we are called to defend it. We're to be bold about sharing what we have within. And I may be jumping ahead a bit, but if you would, just flip to Titus chapter 2. And like I said, this is where we'll spend most of our time. But Titus chapter 2, 11 to 14, it says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Okay, just for a second. We're going to come back at this. But the grace of God uh, has appeared to us. It's teaching us that we're, how we're to live. And as we're doing that, verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And here we have in detail what we are looking for. Uh, we're talking about the glorious appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're talking about the return of Christ, the day we will meet our Maker face to face and be with Him forever. So back to First uh, Peter again for a few more minutes. When we are when we are asked about that hope that is within us, how are we to respond? This verse says, "With meekness and fear." Yes, we're called to be bold for Christ. At the same time, we need to be able to articulate our belief humbly and thoughtfully in a way that can win souls to Christ and His kingdom. You know, we have the hope within that we're going to look at uh, carefully just shortly, but. There's a flip side to some of this. There's another point. For the first point, we're going to look at and consider just briefly those which have no hope. So bear with me just for this first point. The second point is the blessed hope. But if you're here this morning, there are some people, Maybe hopefully not here this morning, but there are some people in America, in the world today, that have no hope. And let's just talk about that just for a little bit. A few weeks ago, we were reminded that this world has nothing to offer. I think Ted said it, and I repeated it two weeks ago, and I repeat it again. This world has nothing to offer. We We will gain nothing here that we can take with us to eternity other than souls that we lead to Christ. So the two verses in Ephesians that explain how there is no hope for a person who is not a child of God. I read Ephesians 2, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the faith prior to their conversion, you who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, Strangers of the covenant of promise, having no hope. It's not talking about the the shallow hope. This is talking about the hope of eternal life, the hope of Christ's return. And without God in this world. So consider the state of those described. Without Christ, separated. Aliens, one who belongs to a foreign country or nation. That's what these verses are talking about. Strangers, guests in another, another land. Having no hope. And it's a sad state to be in. Imagine living um, here as we are today without with nothing to look forward to. And that's what the word, uh, verses in Ephesians were talking about. And it says, without God. So there we see complete separation. And they have no hope. You know, we're encouraged to live every day as if it's our last. And I can't can't argue with that concept. That's good. But the last day on this earth will be the first day in eternity, the first day in heaven that we are longing for. A little bit more on no hope. 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all men most miserable. So if we're here today, August 4th, happy anniversary, August 4th, 2019, and we have no hope for the future. We're in a miserable state of mind. So, if our hope would not be followed by the resurrection of the dead and the expectation of future glory, that verse says, explains how we'd be living—a miserable state and no hope. Another verse, First Thessalonians four thirteen, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Unbelievers have no true hope of life or of anything beyond uh, physical death. So um, physical death brings an unknown future for the unbelievers, if I can say it that way. Is There's just so much unknown. Um unbeliever dies, and what happens? And there's so much unknown. And while death is hard for you and I, Try to imagine how they must feel. And that's another reason why we are called and why we need to be bold in our sharing our beliefs and why and how we believe with meekness and fear. Because there are souls that are searching. And you and I, the child of God, has the answer, which is believing in Jesus Christ and the hope of eternal life, which many look forward to. So while we're on this earth here today, we're growing older every day. Every day we're a day older. And while I am not looking forward to leaving this earth and dying, being separated from a family for a short, until, until, they, until we meet together, there is no true fear in physical death. Yes, dying is sad, and it brings separation, it brings a lot. But for the believer, there's no fear because of the hope that you and I, that we have within Recently, we were out of viewing, and uh, what's common today is the mem- you get the memory card when you sign in, and then inside a the memory card, sometimes they have a little letter there that s- explains the cause of death. It's becoming more and more common. And this family was told, and I quote, just a part of the letter, this is what it said. This was uh, the result of a head injury. It says this, the bleeding had become much worse and involved the brain stem area, which controls many vital functions such as breathing and your heart rate. And then they said this, and maybe this is a reason when I read this letter that maybe it's a reason why you're hearing what you're hearing this morning, but the letter said this, with no hope for recovery. And they continue to say, we as a family decided to remove the ventilator. Dad quietly and peacefully met Jesus, the one he served so faithfully, end quote. And this was approximately six weeks ago, but I never forgot the part where they said, with no hope of recovery. The man died physically, but he was alive spiritually. This man I'm talking about was a child of God, and today is with his master. No hope re- of oh, physical recovery, medically speaking, But he had that blessed hope within. Go to Titus chapter 2 for our second point. Blessed hope and glorious appearing. I think I'm going to read them four or five verses again quickly. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity excuse me, and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Now Paul wrote this letter to Titus, who was a Greek Gentile convert from Antioch. And the book of Titus has a lot of practical admonition for the Lord's people. In chapter two, verses one through three, we see counsel for the older men and the older women. In verses four through eight, we see counsel for the younger men and the younger women. In verses nine and ten, there we have counsel for servants. And in verses eleven through fifteen, we have for all believers. So back in eleven through fifteen, we have eleven and twelve, we're given character guidelines the beginning of verse 13, where we're given the hope that we have within as we wait for Christ's second coming. And verse 14, we see what Christ has done for us. Now in, this, in these few verses, Paul is not necessarily given us an outline of future events, but he's giving clear directions how we are to conduct our lives in light of Christ's return. Now Jesus spoke frequently about his return to Earth, and many of us probably have the verses memorized in John 14 as we look forward to the day when he's going to split the eastern skies. And as believers living in light of eternity, God expects us to live holy, pure, and upright lives. The Christian life is not a life of outward performance. The Christian life is not a life of outward performance. It's much more than outward show. The Christian life begins with a transformation that takes place within and produces a new life without. So hopefully no one's here this morning and saying, well, I put on this shirt and I put on, I'm here this morning so the pastors know I'm here, I'm good. No, it's more, thank you for being here, God bless you, but it is more than that. It takes transformation that begins within. And the power for living acceptable lives comes from Jesus Christ alone. And it's because of his death and resurrection we can tap into that power that is available for us today and we can live in victory. Jesus rescued us from the control of sin. And because he promised to come back and take his people home to be with him, today we have an incentive for living a new kind of life. 2 Corinthians 5.14, for the love of Christ constraineth us, it compresses and compels us. The love of Christ is our motivating factor, our drive, if you will. We are who we are because of his love for us. Verse 14, verse 11, for the grace of God. Here we see God, the grace is God's favor that's lavished upon us. Now just picture, if you will, God pouring out his grace on our behalf, even though at the time that he did that, we didn't deserve it. And this is the gift of salvation that we received. When we met the conditions for salvation, God granted us pardon even though we actually deserve some great punishment. So Jesus came along. He paid our sin debt. Then God said when a person believes on his son, Jesus Christ, he will pardon that soul and adopt, if you will, and accept that person as a child of his own. So it's a beautiful picture of God's grace and his mercy. And his grace combined with salvation experience is made available to all men. The grace of God, His favor, poured upon us, that bring us salvation, hath appeared to all men. No one is excluded from the possibility of redemption through faith in Jesus Christ. Now we are aware that by nature every one of us had been under the grip of sin. But as we see in this verse here, verse eleven, God's grace, His favor, reached out to us when we least deserved it. Romans 5.8, God, But God commended His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we can, first of all, we're so thankful for the grace of God that was extended to us, even when we didn't deserve it, but He gave it to us, that through that, it brings salvation. The next few verses, we learn about the miracle of change that Jesus wants to take place in our lives. So the thing here, the grace of God... We're not subject, we get to verse 12, teaching us. So the grace of God brings salvation, teaches us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust. Okay, Uh, salvation is step number one for the sinner. For it's not the will of God that that one soul should perish, not one soul should die without hope. But after the person is saved, after we're saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, there is more. God's plan is not for us to stay there, but His plan for us continues. Salvation is a step in the correct direction, but it needs to be followed by daily growth and maturity. Remember the story? We're born as babes in Christ. We continue to grow and grow and grow. And that we call the process of sanctification as we view our lives. It's designed to continue throughout our entire earthly journey. So the same grace that we see in verse 11 that, that saves us and brings us salvation also teaches or trains us, if you will, in the school of holiness. And direction is given with two areas here we're to deny or live apart from. And the first one we see is ungodliness, teaching us that denying ungodliness. Now, ungodly people are not necessarily wicked, brazen sinners. But ungodly people are those who have no place for God in their lives. You know, we think of ungodliness, we think of, yeah, we need to get it... We, we can't, we can't go there. But it's the, also the people who have no place for God in their lives. The ungodly even profess faith in God, but they live as if God doesn't exist. You ever hear someone saying profess faith in God, then you walk away and you're like, you, have some, you wonder because of their life? Ungodliness is anything that's not like God. So it's nothing, it's not holy, it's not righteous, it's not pure. It's anything that doesn't honor God. So that would include our words and our deeds. It's anything that doesn't show reverence or worship to God. It's anything that does not obey God. And it's everything that goes against his will. We need to deny ungodliness. It may be easy to say, I believe in God, I oh. have faith in God, but we need to. Live it in a way that will show or prove or provide evidence that we truly believe in God. The grace of God teaches us to deny all these things we talked about, to give up or to turn away from everything that's ungodly and does not honor and praise Him. Do you see what we're getting? Where our lives need to revolve around? And remember the incentive that we have, that blessed hope that we have within. We're moved to remain pure as we wait for his return. Secondly, we're denying a worldly lust, speaking of passions or desire for ease, material possessions. And we live in a rich country. We need to be careful here. It includes an undue desire for wealth and power and for fame. But God's grace that brings salvation is teaching us this morning that we need to say no to the pull of sin. And it's going to take effort on our part. Saying no is going to take effort. It's going to require self-denial. And it included counting ourselves as dead to sin. We looked about at that a while back in Romans 6. So God's grace brings salvation, but also teaches us how we should live. Okay, Teaching us, we saw two things we need to deny. And then we, Here it says, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. Okay, soberly, self-controlled, tempered, disciplined keeping our minds and passions under control, righteously, simply doing what is right, treating others as we should, doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. Godly. What does it mean to be godly? Sometimes we look at this and what does this mean? You know, we are called to this level of living. You and I are called to be godly. To be godly, to be like God. Well, how is God? Well, we have direction right here. We need to... Study His word and be as much like Him as we can. To live as God would live on this earth and to live in the consciousness that God lives within the very body of the believer, remembering that our our lives are the very temple of God. It is moving and having one's being in God. Does God fulfill you? Are you striving to be exact like He wants you to be? Watching every move and every word? Are we obedient to him? If we are looking forward to the blessed hope that we see coming up here in verse 13, we need to stop for a second and go back to verse 12 and allow the grace of God to teach us how to live. So along with everything we looked at so far, it requires a teachable spirit. And this is speaking of spiritual devotion, being reverent and obedient to God. And the blessed hope, to summarize these three verses, 11, 12, and 13, we could we could say that verse 11 tells us what God did to secure our salvation in the past verse 12 what well, we are to do to stay on the right path in the present and verse 3 talk, verse 13 talk about the things in store for us in the future so God's grace sought us saved us teaches us and also prepares us for Christ's second coming so as as we worship this morning we have that hope We have that expectation within, knowing that Jesus is going to return someday soon. And it could be Sunday morning, August 4th, 2019. He could come this morning. He could come this afternoon or this evening. But knowing that he is going to return allows us to be prepared. You know, sometimes we step outside and look up at the skies and, oh, there's some clouds. Or you're driving along. That's what happens to me a lot. I'm driving along and I see clouds. And your mind just led to think, you know, This may be the cloud that he's coming back on. That may be the one. Are you ready if he would come at at 1050? Are you ready? Are you looking forward to this day and that glorious appearing? You know, sometimes we ask ourselves, or maybe we do. Maybe you have already. Why do we live the way we do? Why? And then hopefully not, but maybe we're tempted sometimes to say, you know, is it really worth it? And the answer is simple. It's because of that hope that you have within. Yeah, we go through struggles and trials and temptations here on this earth. That's going to come. And we're supposed to deal with them in a correct way. But life does not end with the grave. That's, we, we have that hope that we can someday, we will meet Jesus face to face. So why are we living the way we do? Because of that hope that we have within. There's more than Sunday to Sunday. There's more than year after year. There's eternity awaiting for those who are faithful. Jesus promised he's coming back again. And today, we're led by the grace of God. And then combine that with a teachable spirit. And we're living a life that is pleasing to him. And the blessed hope, in verse 13, and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, is not two different things. The blessed hope we're talking about is the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ, the Lord. He's going to appear in glory in His majesty and His being. And the word blessed means filled with happiness, prosperity, riches, benefits, and all the great and glorious benefits imaginable. And I, I've said many times up front here that we are a blessed people. And we think about that blessed hope that we have. And, and we think of the blessing that we receive on this side of eternity. But in light of His return, I think that's going to be more than we can ever think or imagine or, or try to picture. It's a very day every believer is looking and hopefully longing for. It's a day that we are preparing for and the day that we're living for, if we could say it that way. And it's the reason that we're denying ungodliness and worldly lust, which so many have decided just to, excuse me, just to dig into. But no, we are denying that. And why? Well, when we see him coming through the clouds, At that point in time, there'll be no time for change, no time for preparing. So that's why we're living holy lives today in preparation of His return. The return of Jesus Christ will be a glorious union. We will see Christ for the first time and be united with Him forever, John 14, 3. The return of Christ will be a a glorious reunion. The dead in Christ will rise and we who live will be reunited with our loved ones and friends forever, 1 Thessalonians 4, 17 and 18. The, glorious, the return of Christ will mean a glorious transformation of the body. We'll receive new and incorruptible and eternal bodies, Philippians 3. The return of Christ will mean a glorious life of happiness. We will receive uh, perfect joy, freedom from trials, freedom from pain, suffering, evil, and death, Revelation 21.5. The glo- return of Christ will mean a glorious remaking of heaven and the earth. We will receive a perfect world of love, joy, and peace, Revelation twenty-one. The return of Christ will mean a glorious reward. 2 Timothy 4:8. The return of Christ will mean eternity. Serving Christ throughout all eternity. Revelations 22.5 uh, 5 and verse 12. And the return of Christ will mean a glorious dwelling place and the mansion that is being prepared. John 14, 2 and 3. So we have that motivating factor within. But verse 14 gives us another reason. We're, look, we're looking for that return. We have that hope within. Verse 14, we're talking about Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Jesus Christ loved us to the point of dying for our sins, dying on our behalf. He was the substitute uh, who paid for the, the price of our sins. He gave himself. He gave everything. Why? Why? because he loved you and he loved loved me. There is no other reason that he died than to redeem us, to, uh, to set us free from that grip of sin and so that we can become God's own unique people. So pause for a moment and think about your life and where you're at today and think about where you would be if it had not been for Jesus and his death on the cross. And I don't think we can fully fathom the change that he made in our lives when he gave himself for us. If we could start thinking where we would be, I don't know where. I, don't, I, I couldn't come up with an answer myself. I'm just thankful for where, where he, he, he placed me. But verse 14 says that he gave himself for us, that he might redeem us, he might buy us back, he might set us free from all iniquity, and it says purify unto himself. Now look at that phrase for a second. Yes, okay, He redeemed us. He set us free. Why? So we can live for ourselves? No, we, we have been, been set free. Then we have been purified or cleansed. So sin is dirty and filthy. That is who we were. But then He set us free and made us pure. So we went from black of sin to being made white as snow. Did He do all this for our benefit? No, we were cleansed, why? So we can serve him. He did this to purify unto himself a peculiar people. We were cleansed and we were purified so we could serve him. Okay, yes, I said we should try to think about where we would be if it had not been for Christ. But by the time you get to the end of verse 14, the facts are shouting out to us. And that is this, our entire life and our entire being revolves around the man Jesus Christ. That is who we are. We were dirty, muddy, filthy sinners, and along comes pure Christ. He says, I want to save that mud hole. I'm sorry. I want to save that kind of people and be, cleanse them here and send them on to Christ. Our entire life needs to revolve around Jesus Christ. He brought us out and set us free and to place within us that hope. So when we consider the entire picture, we go right back to the blessed hope that we have. And we say, as we see in Revelations uh, 20, 22, 20, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Where are you at this morning? Or do you have that blessed hope within and that assurance of salvation that, you know, if he comes here at 11 o'clock, I am ready to go. And it will be that glorious time that we've been preparing for. If it's in one year or 10 or 30, will we be prepared whenever that day will come? In Titus 2 here, Paul doesn't go into a lot of details about Christ's second coming, but his second coming is a motivating force for holy living. You know, so as we wait his return, we need to carefully examine our lives so we can be ready and watching and waiting when he returns. And this might be for uh, another time, but this, there's some more exciting things here in, in 2 Peter. And if you have, this could, uh, just skip through a few, a few verses, 2 Peter 3. The second epistle, beloved, I write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds away way of remembrance, that you be mindful of the words which were spoken by the holy prophets and the commandments of our apostles, the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, That there shall come in the last days, scoffers, walking after his own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? And that's happening. People are saying, he promised that many, many years ago. That's not happening. Jumping down. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. One day is with the Lord, as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but as long-suffering to us, where not one that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. For the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works of them shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Verse 14, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, I'm jumping ahead, but seeing that ye look for such things in that hope that we have within, be diligent that ye may be found in him of him in peace without spot and blameless. And there's a lot more that could be said, verse 18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So this morning, I'll leave you with this. We have that hope within. Let's allow the grace of God to teach us and to prepare us for the day when we will meet our Savior face to face. This is, this is something that we talk and we sing about a lot, but there's coming a day. And that day, I believe, is, come, is a, a rapidly approaching. And I trust that each soul here this morning is prepared when we will stand and face Jesus and see and look right into his eyes, the one who saved us. Are we a prepared people this morning? Do we have that hope that lies within? Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning. We thank you for your promise that you are going to return. And we thank you for that hope, that expectation, that confidence that we have within that those who are prepared are going to meet him face to face and we can spend eternity in heaven with Jesus, singing and praising you around your throne. Lord, if there is a soul here this morning that is not prepared, I trust that he, he or she will seek someone to pray with them before they leave this building, God. And those of us who have have a personal experience with you, I pray, Lord, that we can maintain that hope and continue to live in our lives in a pure way which would be pleasing to you and give you glory. Thank you for your holy word. Just give us the motivating factor to press on and to be faithful. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Song, please.